So I hope you all had a good weekend and a good week. Uh, Katie's dad came in from Tampa, Florida to spend the weekend with us. And I was just telling Tony a little bit ago, okay, so like when, you, when someone flies in from Tampa, Florida to Parkersburg, how do you entertain them? What would you all do? Yell something out. Take him to a bu- He's a Florida State fan. I don't think he'd like that. Fort Borman. We did everything in Ohio. Like, they went to Wits. They went, we went to Amish country yesterday. We went to Park Street Pizza in Sugar Creek, Ohio. Amazing. Everything we did was Ohio. Uh, but last night, this is just really funny. Uh, it made me think about what we're talking about last week and what we're talking about tonight. Last night, we get home around 9.30, and we're tired. We're ready to get going. I mean, we had a long day, so we're ready to go to bed. And I walk through the door, and how many of you all have dogs? Anybody? Love dogs. The three cats are right there to answer, like meet us. And our, my dog, Cece, I meant to have a picture. Uh, but she, in the last year, has pretty much gone deaf. And so, like, we, like, come to the door. She's, like, passed out. Like, she's just there's no idea we're there. And all of a sudden, she realizes that we're there. She comes sprinting over. And is like, all, you know, like, I'm so excited to see that kind of stuff. I'm petting her. And then she, like, bolts for the door because I know she's got to do She's got to pee. She's been inside for 12 hours. I open the door. And I usually put her on a leash because she's 15, she's old, she's getting some kind of senile. And uh, missed the leash. She just bolts out, runs down the street, pees, and so excited to come back in and see me, she takes off running. And we have these, we have a front portion, it's three steps. And sometimes she gets a little excited and she likes to like hop up, you know, skip a couple steps like sometimes we do when we run up the stairs. Well, she's running and she's got her eyes just set right on me. And she's running, running, and it's, it's in slow motion for me. And I see it happening. She jumps, and she is not even we were close to the steps yet. But her eyes are starting to get a little foggy, so I'm going to give her a break. But she leaps. Superman dive. Misses everything. Three feet too soon. And she, it's like, you know, like guys, like whenever we fall, like we like, you know, try to own it. Like, like it was just kind of like a, she hits the first step, and, and she knows she's doing it, so she tries to, press back up, and when she tries to press back up, her nose is just right off of the, the second step, and she does this, and then tries to, like, play it off, like, I'm cool, I'm cool, and then jumps back in, and she just bolts to the door, so excited. I'm like, you are the stupidest dog. I'm like, you missed everything by three feet. I'm just cracking up laughing, like, I say, it's like slow motion, but as I look back over last week, what we talked about last week, last week was a little difficult to talk about because we were very serious last week. It wasn't this peppy sermon, you know, have a good time kind of thing. I was like, oh, I was talking about some serious stuff when we talk about sin. And the scripture that we used last week, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we said, that all of us are fallen short. And I bet there's some of you in here who are athletes who could outjump me, right? Probably. Seth, you think? Long jump? Dude, you, I got 100 pounds on you. You could probably outjump me. But the thing about it, we said last week that all of us are falling short. If we're standing in the chasm, if we're looking at the Grand Canyon, there's a, there is God on the other side, and that's where we're trying to go. It doesn't matter how athletic you are. If Lily McMullen jumps 18 feet, I jump 9, and Seth jumps 20, guess what? We're still falling, right? It doesn't matter if they jumped further than I did. And what we said last week, it doesn't matter that if you do all these good works and still don't recognize God, because it doesn't matter how far you think you're going to go, you're still falling. And it's just like my dog. 
Honestly, it was just like my, like, I'm like, as, as dumb as she was when she did that, my first thought was, that's a good object lesson. That's the way my mind works. I was like, she takes off running. She's all excited. She thinks she knows what she's doing. She gets really pumped up, and she starts bolting it and thinks life is good and then leaps, makes that leap of faith and just smacks down and falls short. All of us fall short. If you were not here last week, we used a, a clip from the great show, The Walking Dead, which premieres tonight. Um, season four, we are all infected. Every single one of us in this room from birth are born to a sinful nature. We are born to rebel because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. We are all falling short. But this week, we're going to change it up a little bit. Yes, we have fallen short, but there is hope for us. And there's something that we need all to understand. But before we do that, and when we talk about Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5 and 6 that we're looking at tonight, Paul talks a lot about slavery talks a lot about comparing sin in this world to slavery. If you go back into Exodus, which uh, the men's Bible study has been going through on Tuesday morning, guys, we get up at 6 o'clock and have Bible study. And half of us are like still asleep and kind of cranky, but it is the best way to start off a day. So I encourage a lot of you, get up early, jump right into the Word. And there's been some good discussion. There's been some like kind of weird discussion at times too, but it's been good stuff. But if you go back into Exodus... Israelites are enslaved by Egypt, right? They're enslaved in Egypt, in Egypt, and they're trying to, you know, still kind of hold on to their Jewish religion. A lot of them, they've been there so long that no one remembers what life was like outside of slavery. Nobody remembers this. <clears throat> and then Moses comes along, and God chooses Moses to lead these people, lead these thousands, the millions of people outside of Egypt, lead them out of slavery. And it's a great story if you look into it. It's a great story. You know about the plagues that God sends. He sends the frog. He turns the water into blood. Every single, what we learn on Tuesday mornings is that every single plague represented actually calls out an Egyptian god. It's fascinating. But he leads them out of Egypt. And what happens after they get out of Egypt? They cross the sea and they get out there and, and they, they mess up. And now they're wandering around the desert for 40 years, right? But if you fast forward later in the story... Egypt, the Israelites actually say it would probably be better for us just to turn around and go back into slavery. And I'm like, in our minds as we're reading this on Tuesday morning, I'm like, I see slavery. You know, we look, we study through U.S. history, study through the dark times of our our country back in the 1800s when we had slavery, and we're fighting to end it in the 1860s. I would never want to be free from that and turn around and go back to it. And we still have slavery today. Did you guys know there's over 30 million people enslaved in the world today? The highest point in human history. Can you imagine being pulled out of slavery and thinking, you know what, life is actually pretty good there. I think I'm going to turn around and go back. And the slavery today is not necessarily just people working on a plantation. Now today it's sex slaves, prostitution, child labor. Imagine you guys, imagine Will, you're working in a sweatshop making Nike, sh Nike shoes all day long. I'm not saying Nike endorses slavery. That was my bad. <laughs> Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. But imagine, like, you as 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, you guys are forced into hard labor from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. making stuff that we are now wearing. You can actually get on a website. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. You can type in what kind of stores you shop at to kind of, kind of give an idea to this. It's an app. It kind of tells you where you shop, what kind of things you buy, what kind of things you wear, what kind of phone do you use. And at the end of it, it will tell you what percentage of the stuff you own was a product of human slavery. 
It's insane. Hershey chocolate. I love Hershey chocolate. Human slavery. It's amazing. But can you imagine you put yourself in that position? Imagine yourself being a slave. Imagine yourself working, if you go back to the 1800, working on a plantation or go into nowadays. Imagine if I can't even put yourself in this position, but imagine yourself as a sex prostitute. Imagine yourself as a sex slave or imagine yourself as a child laborer. And you get freed from that. And you're like, hey, you know what? That's pretty good. I don't think I'm going to turn around and go back to that. But in reality, what Paul gets into in Romans, what we've been looking at, is that he starts comparing our life, our life to sin, is that we are all slaves. So Paul wants us to see that. He starts comparing that to us. And the, the reality is that we are all enslaved to sin. And guess what? Here's the problem. Its master requires only death. Last week we said, for the wages of sin is death. What are wages? Anybody know? Your what? Your, yeah, your bill. It's what you've earned. So we go, adults, we go to work, right? I, I would probably assume the majority of us adults are above minimum wage. I'm just going to guess. But, you know, we, talk, we hear about minimum wage being what it is. It's what you earn. It's what you get per hour, what you get per day, whatever. That's your wage or your salary. It says, for the wages of sin is death. When you guys are enslaved to sin, you have a master, and that master is sin. And what Paul says is that wage, what you now deserve, is death. For the wages of sin is death. We are all enslaved to a sin, and it has a master that requires only death. And what we said last week, that death is a spiritual death. That we, after Genesis chapter 3, and God kicks everyone out of the garden kicks Adam and Eve out. He banishes them. Now they are eternally separated. They are now eternally dead because of their master of sin. And you might think, I'm not a slave to anything. Honestly, though, when you really study and look at what sin does, and like we talked about last week and how it starts off like starts off like leprosy and like a cancer. It starts in a single cell, and it starts to spread. And all of a sudden, it's might be, it might be manageable. No one might be able to see it. And all of a sudden, it consumes everything about your body, consumes everything about your personality, consumes everything about your relationships. You're now enslaved to that thing. And we all do it. We're all enslaved to something. It might be different sins for different people. It might be different things but we were all enslaved to something. In our world today, we talked about last week that what we see, the problem is that we as a church will say, or as the church will say, here's what we say sin is. And the world will say, that's not really, I don't know about that. That's a little, that's a little extreme. What about over here? But we realize that now we're in this tension about what is it? What's sin? And we start allowing different people to label it what it really is. When we never allow God's word to be the master of our life and say, no, that is what it is. That is sin. And all these things become our masters. And then the reality, that master only requires one thing of us, and that's death. Because every single sin, and last week we said that in the scripture alone, we can read almost up to 660 different kinds of sin. And you think to yourself, how in the world am I supposed to get by? And you see why we fall short all the time. Because how in the world can I keep it, even keep a checklist of that? There's that many. I thought there was just 10 or 7. No, there's in Scripture alone, there's listed over 600 different kinds. But they all come back, honestly, to a couple things. They all come back to two things. Pride and selfishness. 
How's it come back to pride? We said last week that sin was basically anything against God and anything where we miss his standards, where we miss his mark. And what we do whenever we do that, we take God off the throne that he sits on and say, you know what? I don't think what you say is good. I think I could do better, so I'm going to put myself on that throne instead. Pride. They may say selfishness. Well, God, I know you say it's wrong, but I feel really good when I do it. Who's that all about? Me. All comes back to pride and selfishness. And when we are enslaved to sin, when we allow it to be the master of our life, when we allow and recognize that that master only requires one thing, and it's death, in the end, we will never deserve eternal life. That because of what happened in the beginning, what happened in Genesis chapter 3, the reality is that we will never, no matter how good you think you might be, no matter how far you think you might be able to jump, the reality is we will never, ever deserve eternal life. We will only deserve death. That is the wage that we have earned. There's a pastor I like to read. He says, so why does Paul say sin brings exact wages? He's one of the sin de- demands, this, that sins demands deplete us. Just like work for wages depletes us, we hope that the wage will make up for the draining energy and time. Sin does not restore. It takes and does not give. It only takes from us and then destroys us. It's what it is. But there is a solution, and the solution is this, that we need an atoning sacrifice to do two things. We need an atoning sacrifice to pardon us and to restore us. Back in Leviticus, whenever after they come out of Egypt, after they move out of slavery and, they, and they're battling with us, do we go back to slavery? Do we live to who we are now? Who are we supposed to be? Are we Egyptians or are we Israelites? What are we? And God comes in and gives them the Ten Commandments and says, here's the law. And within that law came later sacrificial system. They had burnt offerings, fragrance offerings. I I sometimes say that Katie and I do fragrance offerings all the time when we go to Bath and Body Works and buy the little wallflowers and stick them in the wall. No, it's pleasing aroma to the Lord. Um, Fragrant offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings. And every single year on the Day of Atonement, the the word atonement means to cover up. To cover up. It's, they go to the day of atonement. They come before the priest. They come with a lamb or a bull. Or if they can't afford they come with a couple doves. And they go up to the priest and they're like, here's what I have to sacrifice. And the priest would take that sacrifice and he'd kill the animal, whatever the animal was. And he would take the blood off the altar, go into the Holy of Holies and pour that blood over the altar. And that would atone for everything she had done in the last year. And a couple, a couple months ago, around Easter time, we had some people come in. I wasn't able to be there, but I just loved hearing everyone in his church talk about it. We had some people come in and talk for about from the Jewish perspective of that. And what would happen is they would, on the Day of Atonement, they would bring at Passover to celebrate what happened at, in Exodus, in Egypt, they would bring a pure, spotless baby lamb. A pure and spotless baby lamb. And while they're going there to the city, to the, to the temple, that lamb would become part of the family. Can you imagine this? You have this little baby, cute little lamb, becomes part of your family. You probably name it. What's a good lamb name? Lamb chop. chop. That's good. (laughs) You have this little cute baby lamb, sweet, 
innocent. There's no wrong in that lamb. Spotless. It's the best in your flock. And then you have to sacrifice it to cover up what you did in that last year. Because what they wanted the priests and what God wanted them to know is that something innocent had to die to make up for what you all have done. So you fast forward into Jesus' day. We still needed an atoning sacrifice to pardon and to restore us. And it says in Isaiah that Jesus, the Messiah, would be like a sheep led to the slaughter. It talks about him being the Lamb of God, that pure, spotless, innocent Lamb. He needed to be perfect in every single way, and he was perfect in every single way. He was fully God and fully man. He was tempted and tried in every single way that we are. And Tony even read this this morning from 2 Corinthians. It says, He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. That Jesus, this pure, innocent, perfect individual, took every single sin that you and I have ever done, ever will do, before we were even created, and put it on himself. We love to sing the song here on Sunday, on Sunday night sometime, How Deep the Father's Love. It's a great song. And if you go through the lyrics of that song, it talks about how our sin held him to that cross until it was accomplished. It's a beautiful lyric. His love was so deep for every single one of us that he took the sin on our behalf and held it there until his final breath was given up. But he did that to pardon us and to restore us. You might be asking, what in the world does it mean to pardon and to restore us? Well, so there's a story uh, around 1700s, Revolutionary, Revolutionary War era. There's a pastor who's just, you know, they're just coming over from England. They're coming over into the New World. There's a pastor who's starting this new church. And from the get-go, there's this guy locally who just is always against him. He has nothing that he wants to do anything with God. He thinks, hey, I've come to this new world to get away from the British rule. And I, get, I come away to get rid of from this church. I'm coming over to the new world just to get away from God. And he starts constantly bickering with his pastor. We'll come find out that the pastor in him actually kind of thought of themselves as enemies. Well, then a little bit later, the uh, story shows that this, this individual, the guy who was enemies of the pastor, was actually arrested for going for treason. And he's put on trial, and guess who's overseeing the trial? Who was a general at the time? Anybody know? History of people? 1700s? Washington. Which, George Washington is a general. Word gets back to the pastor that the, the, this guy is going to be put to the gallows and they're going to hang him. Pastor has two options, right? He can say something, he can not. Now, most of us would say, well, if my enemy would probably be going to the gallows, I'd probably be like, hey, my life's about ready to get easy, right? He's probably thinking, my church is going to grow now. This thorn on my side is gone. The pastor goes to the hearing, and when he arrives, he's actually getting ready to be taken to the gallows, and he hands a note to General Washington vouching on behalf of this guy. And the, and the Washington looks at the pastor and is like, oh, he must be like an active member of your church, like, he must be a pretty good guy. And the guy goes, actually, he's my, he, he claims to be my mortal enemy. And Washington's like, you're going to want me to pardon your enemy. Yeah. They pardoned him. To pardon means to justify. And to reconcile means to sanctify. 
See, the idea of pardon is that you are now made right. You are now considered innocent. We are all guilty is what we talked about last week. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he's pardoning us. He's looking at every single thing that you've done wrong. He's like, you know what? The slate is wiped clean. You are now innocent. There is no guilt in you. You, are now, you have now been pardoned. Even today, this is still a huge thing. If you get into politics and you start hearing that the president has the power to pardon people, it's actually kind of a fascinating concept. Sometimes people on their death row have been wrongfully accused, and they, they, evidence shows they've been wrongfully accused. The president can come in at the last minute and pardon them, and they can get off scot-free. But it means to justify, and justify means to be made right, to be made guilt-free. And to reconcile means to sanctify us. Reconciliation. If you were here this morning, Tony talked a lot about, about reconciliation. That's the mission of God, and it's also the mission of the church. To reconcile means that you, if you and I have bad blood, you and I have bad blood, there's something that we need to reconcile. There's something that we need to discuss. There's something that we need to fix. Another way of looking at it is there's something that you and I need to restore to make better, to make good. And what God wanted to do is that once he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he set forth this emotion, this plan of redemption and reconciliation that he was going to make all things new and good again. And the word sanctify just means to be made whole, to be set apart, to be made holy. So we're going to look at a story. Actually, we're going to back up a little quick. So we left off last week with, for the wages of sin is death. It's Romans 3.23. And I told you that the next half of that sentence is one of the most beautiful sections in all scripture. Let me read it. <clears throat> excuse me, that's a different scripture. Romans 3.23. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Excuse me. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, made right, made whole by his grace. A gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ. What we need is an atoning sacrifice to pardon and to reconcile us. And what that is, is a free gift. Say the word charis. Charis, say it loud, charis. That is the Greek word for gift. For, excuse me, for grace, and it means gift. Whenever you talk about wages and you compare wages to gift, some of us employees or employers know there's a big difference between wages and gifts, right? When you talk about tax season, there's a difference between wages and gifts, Right? The wages is what you've earned, what you deserve. If, if, if Tony refuses to give me a paycheck based off his own stubbornness, I can take him to court and get my wages that I have earned and deserved. I will fight you, Tony. I'm just kidding. I love you. I know you wouldn't do that. Maybe Brett, but not me. Uh, but that's what I have deserved. But, you know, every now and then, a parent or somebody will come along and just give me a gift, you know, like a little gift card. Home Depot gift cards are real nice, just saying. Home Depot gift card or Cabela's. Right? No. But every now and then I'll just get a gift. And you know what? Most of the time, do I really deserve it? I would argue no. But it's such a nice gesture, right? We do it all the time. We get what we earned, what we deserve. And every now and then we get this gift that we're like, I don't know why I got this. This is that's so nice, you know. That's the same thing what God is saying. Because in Romans, it says that for the wages of sin is a death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life. And we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 11. And I know this is a very common story. And the majority, if you've grown up in church, or even if you have been in church for a short time, a lot of you know this story. It's in Luke chapter 15, called the, 
story of the prodigal son. The very first time I ever spoke on this stage, and it was actually a, over a year before I ever came to this church, I came to speak on men's night, and Tony gave me this real broad perspective. He's like, I want you to talk about forgiveness. I was like, okay, that's not really specific, but I mean, how do you want me to? And then we get here that night, and actually, he actually forgot what I was supposed to speak on, and he's just like, you're doing about forgiveness, right? I was like, I, I, yeah, that's what you told me a month ago. But uh, just, I love this story. Parable of the prodigal son, starting in verse 11. So there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Just saying, you as children, don't, do not ask your mom and dad for your inheritance before they are dead. That is disrespectful. <laughs> don't do it. Hey, mom and dad, where am I in your will? That's what, that's what this guy is doing. Can I have my share of the property? And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. He left his home. He left his dad, took everything that he had, and he left. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He lost it all in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, when he had spent everything he had, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So this guy, his son, youngest son, goes to his dad and says, Give me everything that I am due. Give me everything that I deserve, and I'm going to take it. And he leaves. He leaves his dad, and he loses it all. It's like when your mom and dad give you 20 bucks to go out to homecoming, you're supposed to come back with 10. You come back, and you're like, I, 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 uh, I lost it. And you're like, well, what did you spend it on? Uh, uh, um, I don't remember. He loses it on reckless living. It says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. A Jewish man never is around pigs. They are considered unclean. This man is at the lowest point in his life. He's willing to be around these unclean animals. And he was longing to be fed with the paws of the pig. He wants to eat the very nasty things, the leftovers that you and I have that we throw them to the pigs. They still do that at Cowan, by the way. All your leftovers, they give them to the pigs. But this is what he wants to eat. He's not just wanting to be around the pigs. He's going to eat with them. He is at the darkest point in his life. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, other translation says, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. My father's hired hands are eating and living better than I am, and I'm my own father's son, and I'm living in reckless life, and I am living with pigs and eating their leftovers. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He has it all rehearsed of what he's going to say to his dad. Adults, we remember getting in trouble as kids, and you rehearse all your lines. You answer the questions very carefully. Kids, I know you all do it too. You take a lot of time when you guys are, you know you're going to be in trouble. Let's see, if I word it this way, they'll never suspect a thing. But he's rehearsing his line as he's traveling back. He says, Father, listen, this is, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, he's not, he's like, I am, I am faultless before, I am, I am guilty before God, and I'm guilty before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. If you ever use that one, that's an extreme. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't know what you did to use that line. He says, I am no longer even worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and he felt compassion and he ran. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, here's the line, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill and let us celebrate for this, this was my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they all began to celebrate. This guy leaves with his father inheritance. He has the right of, this, of his father. He has his father's fingerprint on him. He has his father's approval. He has everything that he has ever needed. And he takes it all and he squanders it in reckless living. He throws it all away. He throws it all to the garbage. And he comes to the point where now he's at the lowest point in his life. That sin that was developing inside of him went from just a single cell and now is destroying his life. And now here he is in the pig pen eating with these pigs. It might be like a drunk in the gutter. Or like a prostitute waking up after a bad night. And it comes to their senses. And there's an old proverb, and I can't remember it exactly, but it says, you know how bad you really are when you, re- when you can remember how good it was in your father's house. And he comes to his senses, and he looks back, he's like, man, it was so good there. My father really didn't know what was best for me. My father really did have the best, out, best intentions for me. He had the best plan, the best opportunities, the best life, the best peace, the best hope. And his servants are living better than I am. And he, he comes back to him. He's like, I'm rehearsing. God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against him. And before he can even spit out the words, the dad who should have come on out, and I know parents in here, there might be times when you want to go out and strangle your kid, right? But no matter what they do, they are always your children, right? There's always a love for your children. It's the same thing with God. This is a beautiful picture of the imagery of God. We sing a lot of times in church on Sunday mornings. We have not sung it up here, but you hear it on the radio all the time, the song Reckless Love, right? That there's nothing that God won't do to get to you. There's no mountain he won't climb up, shadow he won't light up to come after you. And he sees his son out in the distance, and his son's probably freaking out because he can see the house. He's now thinking about these words that he's going to say to his father. And before he can even say it to him, his father has been sprinting. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen my dad run twice in his life. But he takes off sprinting out, and he wraps him up and hugs him. And as he starts to say these words, Father, I've sinned against you. You know, imagine saying these things. Dad, I screwed up. And you're thinking, here comes the punishment. Or, old dad's about ready to take off the belt. Here it comes. But before that even happens, he says, I love you, and I'm glad you are home. Come, bring the robe. And he puts a robe on him. In the time period, at that time, the robe meant a huge place of honor. The ring on his finger meant honor. He took a son who was dead and made him alive again. He restored him, and he pardoned him. He pardoned him. He looked over and says, you know what? At the end of the day, you're still my son. I pardon, I forgive you. But not only do I just forgive you, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to make you my son again. And there's a beautiful video about this. I forgot to put it on the computer. I apologize. There's a movie called Blood Diamond. A movie called Blood Diamond. It's about <clears throat> the slavery trade in, in, in Zimbabwe and the du- diamonds, the mining for diamonds. And if, actually, if you go to a jewelry store, you can ask for a conflict-free diamond. What you're, what you're saying is, I don't, I don't want a diamond that comes from slavery. 
It's actually an option you can say in certain jewelry stores. But the movie's about this diamond trading that's going on in South Africa, southern part of Africa. And this little boy, 10 years old, 12 years old, gets taken from his home, taken from his village, and is now part of the child militia that are guarding and protecting these slaves who are now mining for diamonds. And it's his dad and Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a, a diamond trader. He hears about this diamond that's so big, he wants to find it. But then he meets up with his dad who's looking for a son. He's going to the most extreme to find his son. And towards the end of the movie, he comes across his son, and his son is completely different. He, he has been shooting people. He's been killing people because he's now part of the child militia. But his dad is still going after him. At the very end of the movie, they find the diamond. The dad and Leonardo DiCaprio, they find the diamond, and they turn around. There's the man's son with a machine gun pointed at him. And the dad approaches him and he says, here's who you are. And he calls him by name. He says, you are my son. I know they've made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. You are a good boy, and today you're going to come home with me, and you're going to be my son again. It's the same thing that we see in this story, the prodigal son. He is welcomed home. He has been pardoned. He's been restored because that's the same picture that Jesus has for every single one of us. Yes, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Yes, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, but the reality is we are all given a new opportunity for redemption, a new opportunity for reconciliation. He received a free gift of a pardon and a chance of reconciliation. That's the same thing that you and I receive every single time. That Jesus looked upon us, he looked upon you all, and said, you guys are sinners, you guys are deserving of wrath, you guys are deserving of hell for eternity, but I'm going to send my son to bring you back to me because you're going to come home, you're going to be my son, you're going to be my daughter, you're going to receive your inheritance, and you're not going to just receive inheritance, you're going to receive the best inheritance you can ever get, and that's eternal life. That's the reality that we have in Christ. If you paid close attention in Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read this and this is how we're going to wrap up. Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, those of us who believe, since we have now been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. We have the thing that this world is always looking after, looking out for. They, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith. We have been granted access into him, into eternal life. It's not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ will never put you to shame. Then in verse 6, chapter 5, says, For while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. For one scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows for his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you all, every single person in here, while you are still a screw-up that we are, while you are still the sinner that you are, whatever sin it is in this world that you are you're slave to, enslaved to, whatever masters your life, whatever it would be lust, alcohol, if you're experimenting with drugs, whatever it is that is mastering your life, while you are still sinful, Christ died for you. 
So since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The best part is, yes, we are now saved, but guess what? We are still being saved. That even though we've now been justified, we are being sanctified. We are now are made good in the eyes of God, but every single one of us know that this life is still difficult and we're still going to mess up, right? But now the glorious part is that God is still making us new, that we are not done yet, and he's not finished with us yet. And to close, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That every single one of us have, through Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have now been set free. You are no longer slaved, enslaved to anything in this world. You are no longer bound to these shackles. You're no longer bound to this death that we are promised because of sin. Because as we sang earlier, death has been arrested. It's gone. You're probably saying, no, people still die. I'm not talking about physical death, spiritual death. It is gone. Because of Christ Jesus, we are now free. It's the same idea that why would we ever want to go back to that life? For those of you who are believers, why would you ever want to go back to that life? Why would we ever want to go back to slavery? For those of you who do not know Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know the freedom that he has for you, if you want to know the life he has for you, if you want to know the abundance that he has and the peace and the hope and the strength and the, the Holy Spirit that he has for us, talk to your leaders. Talk to one of your friends here. Come find me after, this, after we worship. But let's not, again, return. We have been saved. Let us live in that salvation. I invite the band come back up and we'll close in prayer.